the Filmmakers Podcast exists thanks to your support. If you'd like to ensure that we can keep on exploring the filmmaking world with you, subscribe to our Patreon. The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 280 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson and I'm recording this under a very heavy duvet in a very echoey hotel room. So I'm hoping that this is okay for you, but I'm very busy. I'm on a job at the moment, so it's worth sweating under this duvet for you because I have very little time to record the intro for our episode this week with Michelle Danner, who is an international film director and acting coach. Some of her students include James Franco, Seth MacFarlane, Salma Hayek, Henry Cavill, Gerard Butler, Chris Rock. Uh, the list goes on. She is a phenomenon, really, uh, because in the last few years, she's been prolific. She's basically made six movies and have all been ridiculously successful. They include The Bandit Hound, Bad Impulse, The Runner, and Miranda's Victim, which stars, right, check this list out, Abigail Breslin, Donald Sutherland, Andy Garcia, Kyle McLachlan, Ryan Felipe, and Luke Wilson. This is just brilliant cast list. While we were recording the episode, she was literally two days away from starting production on her latest film. She was deep in prep. So it was ridiculously amazing that we got time with her and she gave you so much information. We chatted so much. It was really cool. She talked about being in pre-production, what it's like teaching acting to huge stars and how it helps her being a director. She talks about what it was like meeting Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks before shooting her first film. I believe Mr. Spielberg gave her some great advice. We talked about what it was like shooting on film versus digital and how her first feature film came about. She talks about getting the money, that all-important difficult phase. What it's like pitching and then moving on to her second feature. And we dive deep into storyboard, shot listing, rehearsals and a very inspiring call that she had with legendary director Ridley Scott. Like I say, I thoroughly enjoyed um, chatting to Michelle. She was a delight. You're going to learn from this so much. So you're going to be inspired by this episode, but I want you to be inspired anyway. It's kind of why we do this podcast. So, you know, it means the world to me that you listen and it means the world to me that you pass this podcast on to your friends because that's how we grow. That is the best way. Word of mouth. Keep doing that. It really, really does mean a lot. And I know that we're growing all the time and I love that. And I want this to be a community. So anything you need help with, do reach out. All the hosts are here to help in any way because we didn't get it when we were starting out. And I want this to be that kind of hub. So feel free. The email is on the filmworkerspodcast.com website. If you've got questions, do reach out. And if we've got time, we will respond. I promise you, we want to help you. And some shout outs for those amazing people who have uh, either reached out or have listened or retweeted or done amazing tweets for us in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Miles Watts, Mark Cameron, Chris Hughes, Stuart Elms, uh, Miles Mantle, Terry Dwyer. She is the producer of The Stranger in Our Bed and... Uh, 
we have just got a release date. Uh, it's a film that I directed based on the novel of the same name, The Stranger in Our Bed, written by Samantha Lee Howe. And shout out to Terry Dwyer. You're going to be hearing lots more about The Stranger in Our Bed very, very soon because it's coming out soon. And a huge shout out to Andrew Crawford because he emailed me and told me that he's quit his job and he's now fixing up his house so he can sell it so he has enough cash to make movies to do something he really wants to do i mean this is legendary it's hugely inspiring and i wish you massive luck and success andrew please keep in touch please let me know how you're getting on and any help i can give you i will you know and i'm not suggesting that everyone goes and quits their jobs and sells the house etc but what are you doing to make your films what are you doing to make your dream happen what is it you're doing this weekend what are you doing right now you know make a voice note in your phone and say, you know what, I'm going to do a short this weekend. You know what, I'm going to finish writing that script. I'm going to start that script. I'm going to email a mate to say, hey, do you fancy joining me on this project? Listen, this is what it's about. Be inspired. Make it happen for you. Because you're listening to this podcast, so you obviously want to be filmmakers or you care about this thing. And if you do want to do it, grab it by the balls now while you've got the chance. Do it now. Literally do something to make this happen for you. Because there's only one life, you know? Don't get to 80 and wish you'd done this. So if it's your first feature, it's really hard to get through that step, of course. But push on through it. Do those emails. Make those connections. For those on going on to your second feature or third or fourth, what are you doing? What are you doing about it? Don't rely on others. You've got to push it. You've got to do it. You've got to make stuff happen. You've got to. You've got to. You've got to do it. Believe in yourself. Believe in everything that you've been doing up until this point and just push that bit harder. If you want to do this, don't give up. Don't. Like I say, you've heard me go on about this so long, but it took me 10 years, 10 solid years of so much hard work to make my first directed feature film. Do yours in less time than that. So let's get to this week's episode with Michelle Dana. Be inspired from this. Here it is, this week's episode. Enjoy. Hey, how are you? I'm good. (laughs) My little doggy. Oh, gorgeous. What have you got? It's a mini Australian shepherd. Oh wow! I've got a, um, a box across, and she's a she's a big dog. She's great. Thank you so much for your time, giving it to us for this uh, to chat away. Prepping for a film is always really, really challenging. How do you find that process? Well, I mean, I I, I like to think that I'm organized. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> at times I feel like I have it together. I feel you know good. I feel in control. Mm-hmm. And at times I feel completely, you know, in disarray and I don't know what the hell's going on. So it, it fluctuates back and forth. There's times where things are, you know, good, life is good. And then there's times with, oh my God, I just, you know, want to cry. So it goes, it goes up and down on extremes and variations. I know. Isn't it funny how we, we put ourselves through it, but yet we love it so much because you, like you say, there's the amazing highs and then there's the lows of, can we do this? Can we get through these problems? And there's always so many problems. There's more problems than you envisage, right? Always. There's always, you know, I have a wonderful team of people around me and, Mm. you know, some of them are, you know, um, close collaborators for many years and, and, and family that I've roped in. I feel like I've taken everybody into this roller coaster. And I said to them, you know, and it's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I'm like, well, wait, it's not over. We've just, it's just begun. <laughs> We're not. But, you know, the more organized we can be, the more you can plan for a movie shoot, 
whether whatever budget it's going to be at, you know, the better, the better, because there's always going to be things you have to troubleshoot. Always. Let's jump back a little bit, because obviously you teach acting as well, which I think is really interesting for our listeners. There's so many directors and producers out there and the acting side of it can be daunting and scary but obviously you you run a, a very prestigious school over in in los angeles um and i just suppose i wanted to talk to you about that and the processes of that and what you learnt going into directing and producing your own films from acting because you come from an acting background as well you're a very established successful actress in your own right and then you're teaching it and then you're directing after that. What did you learn throughout that process that really helped you as a director? You know, everything has been a stepping stone. It started with me, you know, loving literature and, and reading a lot, a lot of books, a lot of plays, a lot of screenplays. Mm-hmm. I was just, you know, I fell in love with with words. And then, you know, I always wanted to use my emotional life to a good end. So, you know, I, I acted, which I love to act. Yeah. Uh, it really... Uh, kept my weight in check for one because every time I acted I used <laughs> myself emotionally so I had to eat less sugar and less starches That's so amazing, I, I yeah. always loved that and uh, and then after that um, you know I, I studied with so many great teachers Stella Adler and Uta mm. Hagen and so many mm. other wonderful teachers that I you know it felt like I needed to pass down this knowledge that I had and uh, and teaching was very you know, rewarding. At some point, I, I left acting to just teach because I had a lot of students and I had to make a decision if I went on three auditions a day, it would take the whole day, mm-hmm. or I could see, you know, eight actors and coach them for projects. So I decided to to solely teach. And then when, when people asked me to act, I, I always did because I always, I always had a passion for the craft. And then, you know, the all of it is tied into storytelling. All of it has a big umbrella over it. It has to do with story telling stories. And so, you know, when I had the opportunity to direct, I was very scared. So, in fact, my very first movie was with wonderful actors, Jason Alexander and Ron Perlman and Sam Morales. And on my way on set that particular day, my first day of shooting, I ran into Steven Spielberg and wow. Tom Hanks. Wow. We're having breakfast. <laughs> hey, Tom. Hey, Steve. <laughs> they had been very generous. They had supported a theater that I had built wow. in California and Santa Monica. Nice. And I said to them, well, you're not going to believe this. I'm on my way to set. I'm super nervous. And, and Steven Spielberg said, you know what? You'll do your 20th movie and you will still be nervous. So he, uh, you know, he made me feel good about that and uh, and to accept the insecurity, to accept the fears. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I did, you know, several more movies and I'm prepping right now for, you know, um, a really great movie. Um, I'm so excited. It's called Miranda's Victim. Okay. It's about the Miranda rights. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, when they arrest you, they say you have the right to remain silent and, you know, the, that whole thing. But nobody has made the movie as to the origins, the unique story that's connected to that, the true mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have the rights to tell the true story, which we're telling. So Donald Sutherland is going to play one of the judges. Wow. And, you know, I'm just really... Um, you know, very, very thrilled that this came my way. I've always been attracted to uh, telling stories that are uh, timely. One of the movies I've directed was about a school shooting. Another one was about, you know, kids and drugs. I'm always attracted to those subject matters. Mm. And this subject matter is, you know, about rape. Mm. 
and about civil rights. So it's, it's very particular interest to me. So, you know, all of it, long answer to your question, from acting to teaching to directing, all of it is just, you know, really being passionate about storytelling on every level. Yes. Because it is so important, you know, If and that passion comes across to your other crew members or to the cast. And if you're not passionate, if you're not selling your story, people go, well, yeah, do you know what? I've got better things to be doing, especially if it is lower budget when you're starting out. People have to want to work with you. And like I say, I suppose it really helped coming from the acting background then when you're working with actors. Let's talk about that on your first film, because again, you had some big names in your first film, like you mentioned, Ron Perlman, etc., etc. The film was called How to Go on a Date in Queens. Tell us about that project. Uh, well, first of all, tell us about working with actors on that and how you delved into it. Obviously, you're teaching actors all the time, but now you're actually directing on a, on a set. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was uh, a fun comedy, that uh, rom-com. And uh, I had these relationships with these actors. So I was actually able to pick up the phone and get them to come and play with us for a little bit. Um, we shot a combination of Queens. We even got on a helicopter in Queens and in Los Angeles on sound stages and, and on location. You know, I have very good memories. I shot that movie in 35 millimeter Kodak. And all the movies mm -hmm. that I shot after that, I shot them on digital, on the Ari Alexa cameras. And, uh, and now with this, project which is the miranda project which takes place from 1963 it spans you know 13 years to 1976 i'm back to wanting to shoot it on film again i'm wanting to shoot it on you know so i'm going to see if that's going to work it's always a little more expensive so i have to inspire everybody to do that not my director of photography because of course all the directors of photography want to shoot on film always always why is it you want to shoot on film this time though what is it that you feel like from your first film how to go on a date in queens shooting that way and now going back to it now why shoot on film i think that it's going to look a certain way that's going to be more authentic Okay. I think we'll add more authenticity to it. I think I have to change a little bit my style of directing because I'll just have to rehearse more and call cut. I like to, you know, talk through things because when I have digital, then you have, you know, you can afford to do that. So I can, you know, direct the actors while we're rolling. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I'm going to have to to adjust because my last four features, that's what I was doing. But it's okay. You know, I think I'll, I'll sacrifice that way of working if I can really have the result be, you know, I think it's going to just look better for this particular movie. I have a rom-com I'm shooting at the end of the year, this year. And that one, I certainly will not fight to shoot that in film. That can definitely be shot on, on you know, on digital every project is different and so you have to see what do you need for this project yes i think that's true i've never shot on film myself i've always wanted to but i'm like you i like to play within the realm you know you're turning over on a, on a digital camera and you can go yeah do you know what? i'm just i don't want to say cut now because everyone's going to run in uh with makeup hair actors might go get a drink whatever it is in that moment and you want to keep them in the moment so you go in with a couple of notes and da -da -da, let's keep going keep me rolling roll yeah yeah keep going everyone's still in that same energy and the feeling and it's concentration so on film yeah you're gonna have to cut 
which is really interesting. So I'm looking forward to hearing how you get on there. So jumping back to your first film then, how did it come about? Like I say, how to got on a date in Queens? Like I say, with these casts, you could ring around, like you said, but also how did the idea come to you, the script come to you, and how did you find the money at the time to make the film? You know, I met this this writer, Richard Vettieri, who lives in Queens, right. and he had written several things that we read, and, and he ended up writing this, this screenplay merging three stories that intersect in Queens from three short plays that he had written, three one acts that we actually have mounted on the stage. So we did we did those plays on the stage, and then we uh, and and we a lot of this, the the cast that we had ended up being in the film. So that's how that came about. You know, the the money was raised through equity financing. Okay, I was in a chat room yesterday where people talked about you know how nowadays people are raising money with Bitcoin and mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Interesting, uh, but I've always raised uh, financing through old fashion equity and a combination sometimes of you know selling it internationally distributors coming on board you know combination getting some pre-sales yeah maybe some gap yeah Yeah, absolutely depending on who who's in it but yeah that's how that came about and uh you know it was that was a long time ago yeah (laughs) that was my first movie yeah no 2006 i suppose is when it came out but if you can remember what was it that worked for you when pitching for the equity finance and you can bring it into a a film that's a bit more recent if you like because it's one of the things that indie filmmakers struggle with a lot is finding the money and how to speak to investors if they do find them what did you find work for you um, especially in the early days well i think it's a combination of three things right it's having a strong story Mm-hmm. Having a, you know a really good script, a unique vision from the filmmaker that's attached to it, yes, and um, you know a certain cast. The unique vision is tied into the passion. Mm-hmm. The cast shows that other people have responded to your passion, and uh, it's true what they say. If it's not on the page, you know it's very rarely. It's not impossible. You know you can improvise and do all kinds of things in post, but it's rarely on the screen if it's not there at the beginning. So I think those are the the things that have to be in in order to inspire, you know, people to to give you money. Uh, can you remember moving on to your second film, then, Hello Herman, after you'd made the first one? Because there was, you know, it's it's a bit of time in between the two. And after the first one came out, what helped you get the second one made after you directed your first film? Did you go, I want to do this. This is what I want to do more than anything else. And then how did you get Hello Herman uh, happening. Well, again, I love the theater. I come from the theater. I've, you know, when I was a child, I was raised in Paris and then moved to New York. And I would go to see tons and tons of shows, you know, read a lot of plays. The The son of Norman Mailer wrote a play called Hello, Herman, that I liked very much because that's a theme that I'm drawn to our kids, our children falling through the cracks. And this was particularly, the story was about a school shooting. And so I first mounted a workshop of it on stage with um, John playing the lead character. And at the time, the son of Steven Spielberg, uh, Sawyer, was um, studying with me. And so the two of them did the workshop. And they were very, very good in it. And then it took several years after that to raise the money to, to make the film the film version of it happened. Uh, I was lucky to have a wonderful actor called Norman Reedus. Mm-hmm. Very much well known for The Walking Dead now. Yes. Yeah. They, and then Sawyer was too old by then. So then uh, this other wonderful actor, Garrett Backstrom, came in and did it. And I just had a, a great shoot. And th- th- it was a wonderful experience to work on that movie. And that, yes, that was my second movie. We shot in a facility 
uh, a detention facility for teenagers that since has been torn down. I can't remember where it was. It was somewhere uh, close to here, about an hour away. And there was actually some stories about it being haunted. And I think Mm -hmm. it may have been. We had several incidents where things would fall out of nowhere and sounds would come out. It was really odd. Um, (laughs) But um, that was, yeah, that was my second second feature, Hello, Herman. What had you learned from your first film going into your second film as a director? You know, had you, like, say you shot on film before, now you're not. So obviously you love working with actors. How were you working with the camera? What kind of things did you want from it that you did maybe didn't do on your first film? Is there anything you learned? Well, I had a different director of photography from the first to the second. I liked them both. My second director of photography, I collaborated with her on two more movies after that. You know, I... I I didn't go, my son goes to USC, you know, he studies film and theater and he's, you know, he does all the things that I did not do. You know, he watches four movies a day. He writes these incredible papers. He's already gotten shorts into film festivals that have won awards. Everything that I did not do. I learned as I went on. That was my my film school. Uh, I wish that I had known more, you know, in hindsight, I wish that I had gone to film school. I think that's very valuable. Okay, But, you know, I I did as much as I could. And with every movie, I added more books that I read, more director's commentaries that I've watched, Mm -hmm. uh, more movies, more knowledge, more, um, you know, confidence. I think more confidence. And as I'm going into this prep of this movie, you know, I feel it. I see it. Uh, you know, I've, I, I'm very lucky. Like I said, I have a team around me. I've collaborated with people for decades. Whereas in my second movie or in my first movie or my third movie, I would, you know, ask more questions and say, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? What, you know, mm. I don't really have to ask that that much. I, I ask a little bit, you know, it comes out to, there's a big casting choice that needs to be made. And I send an email out to my producers. I say, what do you think between these two actors? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very collaborative in that way. I'm not, you know, my way or the highway. I always want to know what people think, but I, I have to do it so much less, which is great because it saves time and also because I have a stronger vision. See, that's interesting, isn't it? How we do develop over time as directors, producers, screenwriters, you do get better from making films. Did the edit process help you as well? I imagine it did when you were sat there in the edit going, oh, maybe I should have got more coverage or maybe I got too much coverage of this. I could have had more time on this. Did that help you as well? I never uh, ever feel that I have not, you know, I, I dig too much, if anything. Oh, really? Okay, well, that's good. It's better than having not enough. Uh, I never felt, you know, I wish I had that a couple of times, you know, but not very often. I, I That was never the problem. I work with the same editor. You know, we have great rapport. You know, I, I love every, you know, some filmmakers will tell you they like this phase of filmmaking better than other phases, you know, either pre-production or shooting. I like every phase, every phase of making a movie assembling the pieces of the puzzle are interesting to me and challenging to me. So yeah, of course, you know, I've learned. Uh, I think, you know, one of the, I, I have written, I don't know, know what those notes are anymore, but I have written every time I've learned something, uh, I write it down. Lessons from a movie, you know, mm-hmm. so I make different mistakes, but not the same mistakes. I don't like to make the same mistakes over and over again. But, uh, you know, I like to rehearse. I'm, I'm one of those directors that likes rehearsal. So good now, because with film, I'm going to get a chance to rehearse. I, I feel it comes out better for me. And I am not uh, worried about robbing the spontaneity out of the moment because I know how to get actors to be spontaneous and and be improvisational within the dialogue and I give them freedom you know I've worked on several film feature films with Paul Sorvino and he wrote me a lovely lovely email about you know the freedom that I give 
on set to my actors to discover to play yeah which is lovely because it is so important working with actors i think it really is one of the most important things that you can talk to actors uh, and some of the actors that have been to your conservatoire the la uh, conservatoire acting conservatoire you've had chris rock gerald butler seth mcfarlane penelope cruz Vern troyer do you know what i mean the list goes on michael pina it's it's quite incredible really are these sometimes these people that have come when they're not names or are they also coming when they're names as well uh and how do you work with that inside the acting world uh, you know that'd be really fascinating when you're teaching oh yeah I've, I've worked a lot with uh you know actors that have become you know when i when i you know big names and and they weren't they were just starting out so i had a lot of actors i've, I've worked at the beginning of their careers i've worked with a, a tremendous amount of wonderful actors i've always been very fortunate and then i've worked with some really talented uh you know newcomers mm -hmm. that you know unfortunately uh, did not have careers, you know, they made different choices. There's a lot of talent in the world. Let me just say that having taught acting all over the world, including in London, um, there's a lot of really great artistic talent. Uh, who ends up breaking through and who doesn't, you know, some of it has to do with luck. Some of it has to do with hard work. Some of it has to do with a combination of everything. But um, yeah, you know, and I've, I've observed the, the people that are still in there that have longevity in this business. I certainly have observed that there's a very strong work ethic across the boards. Mm. That is interesting, isn't it? How it is it's true, isn't it? That work ethic and those people who expect things to come to them and they're the ones that might be really talented but struggle to get the work. Um, and then the ones who you know really keep pushing and the hardest are the ones that seem to to break through and you've kind of proved that then which is really interesting let's go on to a film that is available now bad impulse uh it has recently come out obviously the runner will be out very soon by the sounds of it uh as well as your other films let's talk a little bit about bad impulse because people can watch this now as well as your other films and we'll put a link to this in the show notes do you want to just give us a little rundown of what it is what the film's about and um, we'll play the trailer uh, and then we can talk about it. Well, that's a movie I shot a few years uh, in the middle of the fires in L.A. We had mm. to be evacuated. That was a whole wow. movie in itself. But, uh, you know, it's a wonderful cast. Sonia Walger, yeah. who is British, and uh, Grant Bowler, who is uh, Australian. Mm -hmm. um, wonderful actor, James Landry Herbert, Paul Servino uh, was Savino, in it. Paul of course, yeah. yeah. You know, it was uh, basically, you know... Um, about technology my sisters uh you know i have the alexa and they've always given me a hard time for having the alexa they're always like you know don't you know because the alexa is like big brother watching you and in this movie you know is about these uh it's a horror supernatural uh suspense thriller about how you know there's energies that you can't control around you Satisfied with your current level of home security? Your home encased in a dome of protection, distinguishing between your wanted guests and the unwanted violators of your sacred space. I need us to do this together as a family. You are going to take the fall here. What? Please! I just 
transmitter and microchip are atomically synchronized. No one else can wear this anklet now. It makes you safe. Isn't that what you want? These anklets are doing something to us. Your father needs you. The murder-suicide. He's not human. We just gave you what you asked for. It's not too late. I love you. You sleep with him? Christine, sweetie, open the door. It was before COVID that we did the rounds with the film festivals. And it was great to watch it, you know, in a theater with the audience mm. and audience feedback. And people were like, oh, God, this is so scary. And I was like, well, then good, because, you know, I did my job. If this mm -hmm. is scary, it starts with a pretty violent scene in the movie. And I remember we um, we were at the Chinese where we won some awards there. And uh, they were, uh, we had a Q&A afterwards. And somebody said, oh, you're so sweet. How did you direct such something so violent? <laughs> well, <laughs> That was one scene that was like really violent. Yeah, no, it's it was it was fun to do that. I learned a lot from that as well. Yeah, no, I imagine. How was it doing? You know, you, you like say your films had before this one weren't necessarily violent or horror related. Was there a reason why you wanted to make a horror film? Was this just a script that came from Jason Chase Terrell that you were like, oh, look, I, I really want to make this film because I really love the script. That's really what happened. We did a reading of it. And, uh, you know, it was his baby. He had worked on it for years and he entrusted me with his baby. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the movie before that was a, a movie, a family movie called The Bandit Hound. The Bandit Hound, of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which was a fun movie also to do, but very difficult because it had dogs and kids. But, um, but Jason uh, is a wonderful writer. I collaborated with him on a movie after that. Um, we're good friends and uh, I respect him very much. And I liked his script and, uh, you know, we had uh, people that wanted to invest in it. And so we went ahead and did it. When you decide this is going to happen, this is your project, are you already thinking about where you can shoot it in terms of locations, the idea? And you know, what, what percolates first for you? What makes you think, yes, I think I want to make this film? What is it? Is there a spark? Is there a, a vision you have or an image? Yeah, you connect to the story. There's something thematically that speaks to you, you know, inside of you and and jolts you. Uh, I think that, you know, they say directors end up making the same movie in a way, in a variation over and over again. So I think that, you know, having a couple of kids myself, the themes that really um, speak to me, our children, our children falling through the cracks um, that really, you know, emotionalizes me uh, deeply. And I'm always wanting to, uh, you know, somehow all the movies that I've directed have that theme in them. Well, of course, because that's what touches you, right? That's what makes you feel. I think we all try and do that as filmmakers. It's like, what can I put in this film to have a touch of me in here? You know, I suppose for you, it's like Michelle Danner film. How, you know, what, what am I going to put in so people in the future will go, oh, I see 
there's a bit here. It's very difficult to do sometimes when they're totally different genres. You know, like the last one was with kids and dogs. And then here, you know, we're, we're talking quite dark horror. But it's still a Michelle Danner film and you've probably done similar traits, you know, even though we're always trying to improve our camera technique, it's still something you can't get away from, what we like to see. Was there a movie you liked when you were a kid? You know, was it E.T.? Was it? Was there a kind of movie that, like for me, you know, you fall back on and sort of go, oh yes, that's inspired me in some way. Did that help for you as well? I've always been very eclectic in my tastes. So I've always watched uh, all kinds of different movies from Frank, young Frankenstein to uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, uh, yeah. Gone with the Wind, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, you know, uh, rom-coms. I've always loved When Harry Met Sally and then later on Heat was yep. one of my very favorite movies. Um, the Godfather, of course, Casablanca. But I'm always loving, and as of late, this last two years with, um, you know, COVID, I, you know, was able to watch a lot of movies virtually at the different film festivals, Sundance and South by Southwest and Tribeca. And uh, and also our movie played, uh, you know, The Runner, for instance, and Bad Impulse played at the uh, one of the London um, independent film festivals mm-hmm. and won some awards. I've always loved watching all kinds of films. And now with this courtroom suspense drama that I'm directing coming up, I'm watching all of the, you know, The Verdict and Justice mm. for All and The yeah, 12 Angry Men and yeah, perfect. All right? of these wonderful movies yeah. and uh, it, uh, everything you you get something from everybody you're you're inspired by everything especially when you're in this prep stage and you're preparing and you know immersing yourself into you know the world of the story you're going to tell mm. do you like to storyboard do you like to plot out your shots really carefully before you you get into the room yes i do storyboard with my director of photography but i've always wanted to do the other storyboard you know the more intensive drawings and because we're doing an extensive behind the scenes documentary because this is a true story that's never been told about the miranda rights we have brought on this extraordinary storyboard artist that we're starting to work with he's done movies like the lighthouse and mm. he's, he's really like uh, it's, it's it's pretty amazing what he does and i'm really looking forward to working with him i'm not going to storyboard the whole movie of course you know you'd love to storyboard the whole entire thing For sure. but usually you, you don't so i'm just gonna storyboard some pivotal scenes oh that's good and what about your shot lists do you plan quite well in advance with your dp and then the night before refine them and then on the day refine how, how do you work as a director there yeah so i'm actually you know i'm worse six and a half weeks away from shooting i'm prepping with my dp uh we're trying to do 10 pages every time we we work so we have and then we're going to go back to the drawing board from the very beginning so we're doing right now uh, you know we're just going through it and then Mm -hmm. we'll go more through it with a fine tooth comb but yes i do like to be prepared absolutely i mean preparation is everything you know it depends i mean if you're doing pickup shots and you go we're going to go in this location and we don't know and you get there and you work with somebody that's experienced and you mm-hmm. go, you know, let's shoot it like this. You can decide on the spot if you have a language together. But when you're doing a bigger movie, you have to be prepared. It's really important that all the departments know what you're doing, know what the shots are. You know, yes, there's there's always room in the moment to go, you know, let's mix that or let's add that, you know, mm-hmm. because but improvisation comes from great preparation. I'm a great believer in that. Mm. 
So I'm yeah. more the person that will prepare than not prepare because then it helps me with spontaneity. Yes. And and the little kernels of gold that you find along the way. Which must come from your theatre background, you know, from all that rehearsal you get in the theatre. You know, it's all about the rehearsal. Everything's about the rehearsal because when they're on stage, it's actors kind of uh, superfluous at that point. Whereas in the film, it's not. And often on film sets, you literally get... If you're lucky, one rehearsal, you know, most people don't, especially if it's a name actor, they just turn up on the day, get in the costume, right, let's go. And that can be frightening. How do you manage that? Or do you still, you know, do you say, no, no, I must get rehearsal time? Are you, you know, is that where you're at in your career now where you can get that? It's interesting, you know, I just finished working on a wonderful piece of theatre that we shot for virtual theatre with the actress Anne Archer, nominated oh. for an Oscar for Fatal Attraction. Mm. Her and I just had a wonderful process. She just texted me today. I'm going to text her back. She goes, I miss our time together. Oh, and so do I, because I just grew quite fond of her. She's an extraordinary lady. And she loves rehearsal. She thrives. I mean, before we shot, we, you know, we just she needed the rehearsal. So now I'm I'm gonna work with, you know, Paul Servino needed the rehearsal. I'm gonna work with Donald Sutherland. Mm. You know, I don't know him. Uh, uh I'm sure that you know I'm not going to have to work too hard. Um, but uh I'm sure he's gonna love to know what he's doing. He's gonna love the rehearsal. I'm sure he will. I mean, he's such a consummate legend. You know, I think a lot of you know, people do like to know, uh, you know, in order to throw it all away, you like to have a certain map at the beginning. Mm, yeah, so it, I, I love having that map of what's in my head. And like you say, as long as you're prepared, no one's going to throw you on the day when they, you know, like you say, the light through the windows wrong. You can't shoot this way now. You're so prepared that you go, no worries, we'll turn it that way. And we can just fit in where you need your close ups of your actors or the, this coverage you need is really important. Did you ever think when you first set up the Conservatoire that you would be directing movies and doing this? Was this something like, you know, because when you're acting, it's different, you're acting. Did you think that you would end up, you know, directing, you know, three movies a year? I think uh, I manifested it. I really do. Because I think I've been saying for decades now where, you know, the, like I said, I collaborate with a wonderful team that's been with me for like all these years. And I have been known to say throughout the years to pretty much everybody, we're making a movie, we're making movies, we're making movies. So I think I got to put the energy out there in, in the world mm -hmm. that we're making movies. I think, you know, it's part of really wanting to be a storyteller and telling stories that have meaning for you, because they, that's what, you know, it has, you know, you have to connect to it. Yes. That's what's really important. In this last feature, The Runner, I really connected to the story in a, in a very deep way. Uh, I think it helped me to direct it better. I think connection to stuff does, it does really help because you're getting your emotional feeling and you want to try and see that in the camera or through the monitor or wherever you're looking uh, to get that or from your actors. That's a good point. Obviously, because you work with actors so closely, do you like to look at the monitor or you, do you like to look at the performance rather than uh, our monitor or is it a mix? Both. It's a combination both. of both. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you get it viscerally more if you don't look at the monitor. Mm -hmm. But you have to look at the monitor because you have to catch things. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of both. Yeah, love that. It's true because there's, there's nothing worse when you're sat watching a performance and you're going, well, the performance was nailed. And then you look at the DP and he's going, yeah, I had to move the camera or boom, came in short or something. And he's like, damn. So you do, like you say, you do have to do both. But it is, I do love just watching the performance sometimes because through a monitor is different. But 
you know, that we are trying to edit as we go. Do you think about that, by the way, the editing as you go? Do you think about how the shots will cut together as you're uh, creating? Of course, yes. And I actually have my editor next to me. Oh really? Uh, and yeah, totally. And then and then he edits, and I call him often. And then uh, and he edits. Uh, well, we're gonna do, be like two days behind or one day behind with film now. Um, but normally he he edits as we go along, and I watch dailies at the end of the day, and I watch what's been you know assembled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Totally. I like to, I like to do that process. Yeah. I wish I could. Most of the time we can't afford an editor on set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just usually a DIT. So I love that you can do that. It's wonderful. How has a, a failure or a apparent failure uh, set you up for success? Yeah. I mean, you know, if something doesn't work well when you shoot it, the execution of it, you know, you can fix a lot of it in post-production. You can turn it around, but you know, not always. It's better if you would have But that's the experience that you get. You know, that's why I think I can say this. I had a a wonderful call a few weeks ago uh, by Ridley Scott, who had screened The Runner. And he said, aside from some wonderful things he said to me about the directing of it, he also said, you have to keep doing it. And he's, you know, doing it right now. He's shooting something. He's shooting Napoleon right now. And, you know, he's so right. I mean, until you can't anymore, you just have to keep doing it. I was talking with my son yesterday about Sidney Lumet because he's directing in in school a scene from Death Trap and Sidney Lumet had directed the movie of that. And my son screened it. My son watches four movies a day, if you can believe that. It's unbelievable. He is so beyond passionate. And he was saying, he was talking to me about some moments in Death Trap and some moves that Sidney Lumet had done. And I always read from the book on making movies in my class that I teach. I have a masterclass I teach the golden box and I always read these stories that Sidney Lumet wrote about for murder on the Orient Express with Ingrid Bergman who wanted to play you know the retarded Swedish maid he wanted her to play the princess she won an academy award and he said you know actors have self-knowledge of themselves or a wonderful story of the few on the fugitive kind with Marlon Brando who couldn't remember his lines and they had to do like 32 takes you know and the prolific the prolific uh life that Sidney Lumet had the amount of work and and Ridley Scott, of course, and, Mm. you know, and Steven Spielberg and all these greats. And then you have to study the greats. You know, I really walked away from that conversation. A lot of, um, you know, warmth in my heart because uh, I wrote to him afterwards, you didn't just make my day, you made my year, Um, (laughs) you know, to have somebody tell you uh, some wonderful things. But um, but I really walked away from that conversation going, you know, it's just a, keep doing it you have to keep doing it you have to mm. keep doing it you know that's the mantra and Ridley Scott is that kind of you know when he just churns them out and they're still classic brilliant movies every time people might not like them every time but I tell you what to turn out The Martian when he did and to, well, he shot something else the same year and you're like oh my god and and he's right if you want to be a filmmaker be a filmmaker go get on with it and you're absolutely yeah. right there and that's how you learn there's no other way to learn you only you learn yes absolutely going to film school is invaluable but then you just have to do it mm, being on set is even more valuable because you've learned so much on a film set so much you mentioned earlier about your team and how you love collaborating with your team and have amazing people around you how do you keep those relationships because it's very difficult in our industry with the ups and downs and everything happens people go off netflix poach them all this kind of stuff how do you keep your team together uh, any tips for us for people to find the right team to begin with and also then uh, keep working with the people you love you keep raising the bar i think but you're gonna say raising their fees <laughs> as well as well sure as well you know um 
happy to tell them, you know, here, I'm happy to give you this opportunity. I'm happy to, this is better and this is more, you know. But if you keep growing together as a team and we're all a collective and we're all part of it, that is a wonderful incentive for people to feel like they're part of something. Mm. And that's a great question, I think, that you've asked me. And, you know, I think it's true of any business. Uh, if you want to keep hanging on, I mean, listen, at times, of course, you know, it's healthy for people to go do their thing and you have to support them in that. Uh, it's not, you know, always. But, but um, you know, yeah, I've been very, very lucky. I have a wonderful group of people around me and uh, I feel I also have my family around me. So, you know, because direct the bottom line of that job is that it's not for the faint of heart. It's very, very difficult and uh, it comes at you like mm -hmm. nonstop mm -hmm. and um and you have to be strong uh and you have to inspire and you have to you know uh that there's a lot of things that go into it but ultimately at the end of the day it's a very lonely job so the fact that i and i've always known that i've always felt that so the fact that i have been able to really assemble this team of close friends family people that i don't know but have great energies uh and because if i sense they don't i just don't want them around me uh the fact that i i am uh, assembling that i think is is just you know it really feels like it's a family for you know that that's working on this and everybody every story that i've told every movie that i've signed up for people have been very um you know, excited to work on it. I'm getting emails as we speak of people go, oh God, I've read the script. I love this. I want to be part of this. Uh, I think if you pick well, if you pick like a really good story, you know, people want to come and help to make it happen, to make it come to life. So true. Well, you mentioned that you had lots of good luck, but I also think it's because of you uh, being such an uh, upbeat, uplifting person who seems mm -hmm. absolutely brilliant at a job, who cares. I think that's the main reason and sometimes it's hard for us to say this certainly as a british person i would never say that um about myself so i imagine yourself it, it, it's difficult to say but i think that's the reason you seem absolutely fantastic you work oh, hard you. your ethic is incredible and the fact that you're turning out these amazing films constantly and constantly trying to raise that bar is such an inspiration for so many people out there so thank you for that thank for one. you it's very but, nice to say thank you no problem at all. Uh, for a couple more questions, um, what bad advice have you heard in the past that you know filmmakers should or shouldn't do? Is there anything that stands out for you? I don't know if anything comes to mind. I mean, some filmmakers don't like to rehearse. Uh, and listen, if it works, it works. You know, if, if the spontaneity of the moment gives you those takes, then that, that's great. So I don't know. You know, I, like I said, I like to rehearse. I hear that a lot of directors are not prepared. I do hear that a lot from different yeah. departments or they, they don't know what they want. I hear that a lot too. Right. Yes. You know, my, my director of photography, who's absolutely wonderful. Uh, he's Italian, Pierluci Malavasi. We do a lot oh, of Italian name. jokes <laughs> on set because I speak Italian. My mother's Italian and he's incredibly talented. He's a real artist. So he says, you know, that I really know what I want, which is interesting because I have a lot of Libra in my sign. So I feel like I, you know, when I make a decision, I can see it this way. I can see it that way. I can see it. That, I can see it many different ways. Mm. And so the fact that I take it as a compliment, the fact that he says, that um you know i i know what i want i am pretty fast and i'm I'm pretty opinionated but i'm also very collaborative uh, i hear that you know a lot of times directors you know they just don't know what they want they can't make up their mind and that holds up production mm -hmm. and i think you have to be able to make these quick decisions yep 
so true it really is it's it, you've just got to have your voice and you've got to know what you want to say and you've got to say it and it's all right to change your mind but as long as you've got an opinion uh, like you first mentioned when you first sort of started as a director you was like oh, what do you think should we do it that what and now i imagine you're going no no this is what i'd like uh it's fine if you've got a better idea but here's where we're at which is great and lovely to hear uh, finally what do you do when you lose focus it seems like you're very focused and you're constantly making movies which is incredible and you've got your uh, acting conservatoire which you're running at the same time and you're distributing the film well, you're not distributing them but you've got the films to promote like this what happens when you lose focus how do you bring it back you know when your mind wanders and you go oh god i'm not in the right zone today what do you do to bring yourself back into the right zone that's a great question too i let my mind wander I, I mean, unless, you know, I'm under the gun and I have to just, you know, you know, talk to myself and I say, you know, focus. But if I can let my mind wander for a little bit mm -hmm. and reflect on things, I don't put pressure on myself to be all that I can be, you know, uh, if I just give myself a break a little bit. I think that that works, you know. I mean, I'm so, um, for me personally, I mean, I'm so efficient and I'm so scheduled uh, and I'm so, you know, on top of it. Then when I'm not, and there's many times when I'm not, you know, I just, you know, I give myself a break. I mean, I'm not one to spend like, you know, that book, The Art of Doing Nothing. Uh, <laughs> I, am not, I don't think I can spend a whole day doing nothing, um, yes. but I can certainly spend entire hours, you know, just futzing around the house and going to the garden mm -hmm. and, and just doing different things. I like to swim a lot. I think that, you know, when you direct, you have to prep just like a boxer, you have to prep like an athlete, especially mm -hmm. if you're going to do this kind of intense shooting, which I will, you know, you just have to, you know, really do push-ups and you have to uh, be in good shape. And, you know, I I'm careful about what I eat on set. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to eat like pasta at lunchtime because that's going to weigh me down. It's going to make me sleepy mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be, you know, focused and sharp. Mm -hmm. So I have to eat the right foods and I have to get sleep. Uh, and, yes. uh, you know, Vital. so it's, it's, yeah, it's really, really important to take care of yourself, you know, to practice self care. Yeah, I do. Sometimes I do oxygen, you know, extra oxygen. I'm already trying to find out where I'm going to be able to find this oxygen bed. Can I go once a week to give myself, you know, oh, really, I've never done that. Okay. It's certainly not anything in the UK at the moment. But that sounds yeah, to give yourself the extra. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, okay. I have an oxygen bed here at the house. I like that. Okay. I don't have a lot of time to get in it, though. But when I do, I I bring books and you know i watch things and so you know anything that you can do to help yourself you know just be on your side and really take care of yourself and yeah you know minimize the distractions don't let people you know waste your time mm -hmm. uh you know yes. just really don't let that happen that's great because i think people like myself sometimes get panicked when we're not doing stuff we go oh i should be doing that i should be doing that even though your mind can't fully focus and it's great that you've said that and that's going to be reassuring for a lot of people it's okay to take a bit of time out oh yeah it's okay to do that it's important because then it makes it when you come back and you refocus even you know more so uh, you know it's very important to give yourself a break and go, you know, it's it's okay, you accept it. You go, you know, I'm not focused right now. But then the moment you say that to yourself, immediately focus comes into play. Absolutely right. Thank you so much for your time. You're this has been an absolute delight to talk to you. Honestly, huge thank inspiration you. for so many people out there. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can do it. Believe in yourself. Uh, trust your path and go for it. And if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, just as Michelle has done, it is your duty to send the elevator back 
Dan. We will see you next Tuesday as always. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everyone. Go make your movie. Make it happen. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything in your movie. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.